Welcome, friends. This is the January-February issue of Being Candescent Health and Wellness magazine, where we look toward the future of architecture, passive design, and the greening of America with today's amazing guests, Alex Yoon and Edie Dillman. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, publisher of Being Candescent and founder of Incandescent Radio and TV. And I couldn't be happier than to have these two amazing visionaries featured in this issue of the magazine. Before I turn the show over to Alex, who will be interviewing Edie, I want to remind our audience that he's the lead architect on a project that I've been cooking up since 2020 to create the Incandescent Retreat Center for Women here in Santa Fe, where I am based. My son, Dylan, who was his student at the University of Virginia, introduced us. Now, Alex, his partner, Weijia Song, and Dylan are all at Harvard University's Graduate School of Design. I'm very proud to report that they're all amazing and working with us to make this vision come true. So I'm here in Santa Fe studying massage with the goal of running a spa at the center. And that's where I met Edie, whose amazing company Be Public is based. You're gonna learn all about that on today's episode. So take it away, Alex. Thank you, Hope. Thank you so much. Um, it's really great to be here uh, with you both, Hope and Edie. Um, as Hope said, my name is Alex Ewan. I'm an architect, an urban designer, and a, uh, also a lecturer at Harvard's Graduate School of Design, where I teach design as well. Um, and I'm, it's really my pleasure today to uh, talk with Edie Dillman, who is the uh, co-founder of Be Public Prefab in Santa Fe, about her work, um, her journey, and the impact that she's trying to make through uh, disrupting a little bit of the construction industry. So um, Edie, thank you for being here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Hope. I think we should start off, Edie, maybe give us a little bit of a brief uh, self-introduction. Tell us what brought you to Santa Fe in the first place and what you've been up to for the past few years with uh, Be Public. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I feel like I've um, just landed in Santa Fe, but I've been here for 23 years. Um, it's one of those wonderful places that sort of calls you in. Um, and I moved here from Chicago. So I have, I was running a company in Chicago, uh, helping creatives uh, be business people. A lot of people who are creative get into business because they have talent mm -hmm. and because they find themselves with clients, but very few um, of us, I would say, um, actually know the business side. So I was running my own firm there called Small Fires and really just longed for the mountains. I'd gone to California for school. I was a Claremont kid and um, just missed the mountains. Chicago was wonderful, um, but really flat and kind of threw a dart <laughs> towards the West and ended up in Santa Fe. Actually, when we left Chicago um, in my old car, um, I don't think we had a destination. We had friends in Albuquerque and friends in Santa Fe and just sort of turned right and ended up in Santa Fe and have never left. Mm -hmm. um, and for the last couple of years, um, I have had the pleasure of launching a new um, company with um, two amazing partners, um, both of whom I've known for, it feels like ever, uh, 30 years for Charlotte Lagarde and um, 26 for Jonas Stanford. So we've known each other a very, very long time. And this company, the seed for this company came from Jonah's work, um, but it was one of those seeded ideas um, and sort of exploded when the three of us started talking about it. So we, we spent a year in sort of the business planning um, stage and being really intentional about starting this company. And then we launched services and products in January of 2020, right before COVID hit. <laughs> 
that's a fairly young company, but I'm sure in the past couple of years, like all of us, it's grown. Um, it's, it's, it's aged um, a little bit faster than normal. <laughs> um, but can you maybe Edie, just give us a, a brief description of what you're, um, what you're offering, you know, prefab construction, but what is it? We hear all about it all, all the time, but what does it mean exactly? Yeah. Thanks Alex. And, and I think I don't want to get stuck here, but I do think it's worth talking about. There's a lot of confusion in, in um, sort of, the world about when you say prefab or when you say modular, you say, you know, all of these sort of um, buzz terms. Um, and we're really specific around, we are a panelized construction. So rather than building, um, and we specifically are working on housing, building a home um, one, two by four um, after another stick frame or site built, um, it's really a craftsman made panelized solution so that you're craning in whole walls or entire floors or roof panels in to bring the entire structure of the building um, up in a matter of days rather than framing over a month or two or three. Um, and that system is designed very specifically for um, a high performance or a low energy. So it's very well insulated you could say twice the normal insulation for a, a standard U.S. home. It's, um, it's paired with high-performance vapor barrier and weather barrier, and all of that is craned in, in that panel. So you're getting, say, seven sequences that would be done on site in, in one install. Um, so it's very specific when we talk about panelized or prefab or modular. A lot of people think modular um, is the only thing where you see whole homes kind yeah, of being framed into place. And this is really more Lego-like. So it's a tool for architects and designers like yourself to design with. Um, it's dimensioned. We often talk about it as the same as buying windows and doors. You wouldn't necessarily build your windows and doors on site in the rain and so why does it make more sense to do the walls? Um, and so it's a different kind of solution for people to consider. Um, and I think we'll talk about this more in the conversation, but there are very few opportunities for consumers and designers to make choices that are truly sustainable and meaningfully green. Um, and I, we have a lot of clients that come to us who really want to make better decisions about how they build um, and how they sort of um, have impact in new construction. Um, and so it's a really exciting company um, and it's really exciting to share with you guys um, that they're, they're alternatives. They're, they're ways to build to a higher performance and certainly for generations of use um, that a lot of people don't have opportunity to even consider. So it's really fun to share this. Um, I certainly appreciate it because most people do not think about what's inside the walls of their home. <laughs> they don't think about those materials. I spend my whole you know, life doing that. Um, but what are the resulting um, you know, performances and comfort and um, ultimately um, radically less use of energy if you build to this standard? So it's really a craftsman approach and it truly really is um, still made by hand, it's just done so offsite in a protected um, workshop, or you, we don't say factory, but um, in a craftsman shop. Mm -hmm. So the, the tolerances are quite a bit higher um, so that once it comes to site, it really comes together beautifully for a lasting build. 
And just to give the audience some background, you know, um, buildings consume a lot of energy these days. Um, and the, the interface between the outdoors and the interior is the envelope, um, which is what you're concerned with mostly. Now that's walls, windows, doors, things like that. Um, but the performance of the envelope is just critical to the performance of the building overall, um, both internally, how it uh, functions in terms of keeping energy, uh, heat in or keeping cold air out, but also in terms of the aesthetics and how the object looks um, from the exterior. And it seems like the solution that you're going for is something that balances between the two. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It, it is um, truly, it's what's invisible. And so it is hard to talk about, you know, something that a lot of people don't think about. Um, but our solution is um, that structure. It's the thermal bridge three free structure that you can decorate however you want, which is what's really exciting for me. I've always worked with creatives and it's a tool to hand to architects and designers to build to a higher performance level, but how you decorate it and how you play with it is truly um, you know, endless, which is you know, really fun if you think about the same analogy of Legos. It's now taking those Legos and painting them or you know, sticking rock on the outside and really dressing them up. Um, so it is different, but to go back to the question of sort of the carbon counting of buildings, and we don't think about it. It's amazing like how we've come so far with the automobile, right? That we really now are so aware of what is, what's your miles per gallon on your car? And are you driving electric? And how often do you have to plug it in? Or are you plugging into solar? And um, I think we're really at the wave of beginning to understand the same for buildings. Um, truly buildings use more energy than transportation. Um, and how that split is um, number one, the upfront embodied carbon of the materials that we build with. Um, so there's some, some uh, major sort of carbon binges when we look at material costs, that would be concrete steel, um, obviously um, are, are really hard on impact. Um, and so if we can lessen the material upfront and embodied carbon in the materials that we specify, we can have a huge long-term impact to the environment. Um, and then the other side of that coin is, you know, what is the energy use of those buildings? And it's a horrible statistic, but I'll, I'll throw it out there. 6% of the U.S. annual emissions is coming straight from, from air conditioning. Just mm -hmm. air conditioning alone is 6%. Um, so if we can make these buildings more efficient so that the energy that we put into them to either heat or cool stays in the buildings longer, we can have a huge impact. So we're focused on the passive house approach and that the ultimate um, in that is that it's 80 to 90% less energy for a higher level of comfort. So like to not have those cold spots flowing through at your feet or not to avoid upstairs in your home in the middle of summer because it's going to be so hot up there um, or just those killer um, energy bills. I, you know, there, there are folks who can, um, you know, really look to what are their, the increase in their utilities over winter and what a sacrifice that is for some families um, and what people do in order to stay comfortable is horrible to make choices. So the idea that all buildings can perform and be comfortable 
with less draw on the earth, truly, and less draw on the grid. Um, it's so simple, but it's, it's, you know, news to a lot of folks. So it's, I don't know, it's empowering to people to be That's able cool. to make these choices. And, and from what I understand, most of the clients, most of the buildings that you're doing are new built, new built, right, for residential. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's also interesting to note, too, that, you know, uh, a lot of buildings in this country are, even though it's a new, relatively young country, a lot of our buildings are still quite old. You know, it's not uncommon um, in California or in, in uh, New England um, to, to be living or, or renting buildings that are uh, 50, 60, 70, even 100 years old. Um, now, nobody is uh, driving around in a car that old unless you want to be quirky. <laughs> um, but obviously, building uh, technology has come a long ways in, those, in that time period. Um, and so a lot of buildings, especially if you're building new, you might as well build something um, efficient. So the, the other side of this, this question, too, is in terms of sustainability is also creating new housing stock. Is, is that something also be, be public is, is concerned with with regards to your product? Yeah, absolutely. And um you know, we are, we're directed to the housing market. We try and, um, <laughs> you know, complicate running a business by attacking as many problems in the world as we possibly can. And, and the housing need is great. Um, and it's, it's only grown since 2008. We just really haven't produced um, enough houses and it's been for, you know, over a decade now. So the catch up, um, for creating housing across the country at the time that we're also experiencing a, a, a huge shortage of tradespeople. We just, we couldn't possibly meet the need for housing traditionally stick built um, in a way that we need to. Um, so we're disruptive in that we're offering uh, an alternative to green building and a much higher level of performance but we're also speeding up the productivity of those local builders to produce more homes. And that's really where we're focused is helping builders, you know, get to this um, higher level of performance, but also raise their capacity so that they can truly serve their communities. And, and we're working with very small sort of mom and pop builders, as well as large developers who are making choices about how they build and wanting to have, you know, a, a longer term investment in those buildings. Um, but we, we simply couldn't build fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, I think the demand in California um, was 5 million new units. And I think the most that they had produced in a single year was 80,000. Like there's just such a demand. No, no doubt. And I think uh, just being um, right now, I'm in San Francisco and the Bay Area has a huge housing crisis in general. Uh, we have tons of jobs that are being created, but there isn't enough space to house people to work those jobs. Um, and one major issue is just the speed and cost of construction. And uh, it's and I'm, I'm a huge proponent of um, prefab and modular simply because it makes decisions faster. I mean, you can you can you can kind of forefront decisions before the, pro uh, the kind of permitting process or construction process. Um, you can be very clear about, you know, what kind of outcome you're going to get. Um, you, you can have much more control when you're constructing the project rather than if you just leave it up to kind of doing something bespoke in the field. Um, so I, I definitely think there's applicability all over this country, but especially in the markets where that are facing, you know, extreme housing pressure. Um, and then, of course, those that are uh, facing um, climate pressure as well. Uh, so it's really great that you can kind of kill two birds with one stone with your business. Um, I'm curious to also, you know, the 
we have the climate issue. We also have the housing issue. Uh, in the past couple of years, more people like we are right now are spending more and more times, more and more time at home. Um, so how has that ha affected maybe uh, the direction of your business? You, you mentioned that you started it right before the pandemic happened. And then uh, everyone's office is suddenly their uh, living room. For us too. I mean, we've been really fortunate that we've, you know, we've spent the last two years on Zoom reaching many more um, folks than we had, you know, originally in our business plan for the first two years. Um, I think there's many, for us, many um, opportunities that COVID has brought. There's awareness around how we live and what's important to us in how we live and work. Um, I think for some people, um, an awareness of just indoor air quality um, that no one had really thought of before. And so we're really excited to talk to people about fresh air and filtration on homes. And, and because our structures are air are airtight, you have to have that filtration and that constant circulating of, of air. So it's it's helped us in communicating sort of the values and um, the benefits of building to this, um, you know, sort of higher level. Um, I think really simply people are aware of like, what, what's the light quality in their homes, like to have natural light and to have, um, you know, a, a, a sense of space and air um, in their homes. Um, and, and I don't know, you know, there was sort of the movement of, um, flexible space, I think of like the eighties of sort of open plan. I think a lot of people are still drawn or drawn back to that in their homes that they can move the desk around and move the sofa and, and really have flexibility in their space. And certainly for us, it's fun to, you know, meet with our clients that we're designing homes with and think about that flexibility that, you know, today, maybe it's a home office and maybe in future it's a guest room, or maybe you take that wall out and you have a much bigger dining room. Um, I think people are thinking resiliently, which is really fun. So designing with people, you know, I, I hate to say it, but the, the winter storm in, in Texas where the grid was knocked out, um, we'd been talking about sort of grid instability and the need to, level that out and to, and to pull less off the grid for infill. If we're going to meet this housing demand that we have, we have to be really mm -hmm. thoughtful about how we grow our infrastructure. And probably the best thing is infill. Um, I know a lot of people are talking about sort of backyard studios and, and casitas and that as a solution for housing, but it's also those empty brown, um, you know, brown fields and sort of those in between spaces that need to be filled. And that's on existing get grid, that's really important. But as we build that infill, we need to be using less energy so that the grid can um, maintain and continue. And I think um, a lot of folks are really excited about net zero and, and zeroing out a project so that if they're gonna you know, lower their demand, um, adding solar on top. And I think it's absolutely phenomenal that all this awareness has been grown over the last two years. And, and we are focused on new construction, but I think it's important for you know everyone to know that there are things you can do to improve the performance of existing buildings. And it's not what we specialize in, but there really are some amazing systems and things you can do to improve 
the quality of existing um, construction and, and it's the most resilient, I mean, the most um, sustainable thing to do, right, is to take care of the buildings that exist and bring them up. That's interesting. I mean, you, you mentioned that obviously the pandemic has made us more aware of kind of our environment, um, but you also mentioned you have this background in education and it seems like given um, what you are trying to do with your business and your product, you do need to educate and inform people, either um, your potential clients or also you mentioned the tradespeople who you're working with. Um, how has that been in terms sort of, uh, let's say, uh, talking about and kind of telling people about what these benefits are like you're telling us today? Yeah, I think I think there's um, you know layers to that. Of course, there there are people who have been um, uh, building to passive standard in the field or site built, um, as you put, uh, bespoke, and and this is like a breath of fresh air to them because they've been working so hard to train their crews to new materials and new practices that it's you know there's an ease. <laughs> and a welcome sigh of relief that we have something to help them um, get that done. I think a lot of people are really excited. And as you can imagine for us, builders get most excited when they see and feel it, right? Like we could talk about it all day, um, but until they feel it, um, and, and we did a build um, recently, we're on the third day on the project, we had builders come through and they weren't you know, green building experts at all. They were the local builders that we invited out to come check it out. And um, their just recognition of familiar forms in construction that they could see and feel the materials, right? They could see the wood framing. They could touch it and understood, oh, it does. It really like when you have 10 inches of insulation, this feels amazing. And so, you know, the education is... Um, really a sharing. It is certainly not um, trying to convince or, you know, there's no snake oil involved in this. It really is based on um, standard practices and um, recognizable materials. Um, so learning with builders of what works, um, certainly in person and giving opportunity to touch and feel and experience it. Um, I don't, Zooms aren't great for builders. Um, when we get on the road and, and, and get out in the field, it's the best thing possible for us. So we're really anxious to do more of that. I was just recently in California. We did a tour through upstate New York. We just went up to Colorado. Um, so the more that we can do that, the better. And they're amazing training partners um, who are working with you know larger groups um, to talk about building envelopes and performance. Um, we're just there to support them and offer solutions, but it's been really gratifying, uh, you know, talking to you teach. And I think one of the most important sort of outreach pieces for my job is to talk to as many training providers who aren't doing high performance. So talking to community colleges who have you know, trades uh, programs and offer to them that there are other ways to build. And we'd love to partner with them to talk about those materials, to, to talk about those approaches. Mm -hmm. um, certainly talking to people about um, prefab, you know, of course, for formal training, we'd really like those trades programs to be including CNC and other, you know, like laser cutting and, and, and what's coming 
Um, it's important to start with the basics, but um, we're really excited to, to get many more people involved in sort of the, oh, what's next? In, in the same way that you would, again, with, with automobiles, you know, the trades programs that are doing auto shop. Gosh, I hope they've got an EV in there somewhere, right? Same thing for us. I see, I see. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's it's interesting with housing because you have to still, there are still people who want to be more traditional with their construction methods or if they're building a home for themselves. Um, I experience it uh, with, with my clients too, whether it's, you know, using gas appliances instead of electric or using certain materials instead of others. Um, but at the same time, um, we, we, I think it's critical that we constantly look forward to what's possible in the future and what may become the norm uh, somewhere down the road. Um, and I, I'm curious specifically, Edie, about your, uh, your entry into this industry. Um, the construction industry is not known to be necessarily a very open one, let's say. Uh, it, <laughs> it seems to have a lot of a kind of, um, it, it seems to be rather old and traditional in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and furthermore, definitely male dominated. Um, I'm curious what your experience has been kind of entering into this field as someone who, let's just say, doesn't necessarily look like your traditional uh, builder or uh, contractor. Yeah, I, I definitely stick out on um, job sites. You know, I think it, I've had such an interesting um, multiple careers and I feel very fortunate, but I came to this work somewhat reluctantly. You know, I am a, a very reluctant environmentalist, I would say. I've, I feel like um, I sort of classically did everything but face the music. Um, and for many years, I designed magazines, which was an amazing career. I was very fortunate to, to be in publishing and love that work. But fundamentally, it was entertainment. Um, and I reached a certain age and I was offered the opportunity to switch into nonprofit work in a different systems change. I was invited to come work with a company that was doing um, education to workforce disruption, which is funny to say now, two years into COVID, because a lot of it was just-in-time skills-based education online. Mm -hmm. And at the time, you know, people thought, oh, you can't educate high schoolers or college students online. That doesn't make sense. Um, sadly, that revolution has happened um, but I was able to, to leave sort of the entertainment world and, and jump in with heart and mind into work that I felt was really important um, change that I believed in. And from that work, I realized um, and doing research that the reason the cost of construction is going up every year, and I'm sitting in New Mexico, I think it's been 10 to 15% annually for years and years. And why that is, is because um, number one, we told people not to follow their family into the trades. We told them the best way to better yourself was to go to college. Um, and so we emptied the trades successfully for 30 years. And here we sit with um, a, a, a really meaningful shortage that we can't refill. Mm -hmm. So no matter what we do to, to try and bring people back into the trades, we just can't get back to where we were. And so, you know, like the work I was doing in education, um, there, there's a huge need for disruption and certainly taking it offsite and, and making it possible to do two and three shifts in a shop in order to produce 
that structure to go on site very quickly is one way to achieve that disruption. So um, it's a strange trajectory. Um, I have been married to an architect for, um, I'm embarrassed to say how many years, but many, many years. Um, <laughs> it's just, you know, and, and so it, it's in a lot of ways, it is a family business and have um, always loved design and loved architecture. But for me, it was, I think, being the unlikely candidate not being an architect, not being um, a builder and being a woman entering this business really is that sort of epiphany of we're not going to fix this world. We're not going to fix the housing crisis. We're not going to fix the environmental crisis. If every, everybody sort of steps back and says, well, it's not really me. They just stay in their lane. Yeah. And so, you know, being a business person for so many years and realizing I have an opportunity to make change mm -hmm. and I am somewhat unlikely candidate, but gosh, every single day, I know I'm doing absolutely the right thing. This is the good fight for me. This is what I'm supposed to do. And I think because I'm an unlikely candidate that people are really paying attention and listening and I'm building partnerships and sort of collaborations that are non-traditional as well. And I think we need that. I think we need that in the design building industry. I think we need it in business, certainly. Um, I don't think um, if everybody stays in their lane, we're going to make the kind of change that we need in this world. So I guess I'm, you know, sort of <laughs> sacrificial, crazy person, um, but I just jumped. It was one of those, it just has to be done. And I'm here, so I'm the one who needs to do it. Well, I think it's really commendable. And, um, you know, uh, we, we, we come from a situation where previously people just specialized. You know, you do one thing for, for your whole life and then you retire and, and, and you kind of wipe your hands clean of that. But what I think you're demonstrating is the ability to create, you know, a repertoire of skills and then to build off them one after another. So, you know, you mentioned you moved from the publishing into education and now you're going into construction. And at each point, I'm sure you're getting lessons from your previous jobs, your previous roles. You're, you're taking those lessons, you're applying them here. Uh, I'm curious, uh, what's it like working with a physical product? You mentioned how the trades people, you know, they need to react to kind of objects to touch and feel. What's it like working with a physical object as opposed to say, you know, patient or kind of service-based um, business? Yeah, it's a it's um it's a really interesting question, and I had been you know designing um, in those last couple of years a lot of apps, a lot of websites, and I, you know that was part of the jump. The two feet was I got to build homes. Like I, it's not my legacy. I wouldn't say it's my legacy, but it is something that is meaningful and lasting to leave behind. Where I'm pretty sure every app. I designed has already been rebooted and gone. And I think uh, the physicality of it is um, it's a part of that desire to share it, right? Like it, I, there's no way to describe it. So creating it and manifesting it is the only way. Um, and I think Hope and I, when we first started talking, um, we talked about this of it's not just sharing with builders why it's the same or different, but it's for anyone to understand what it feels like to be in a building that's built to this standard. And I um, strangely have discovered what 
what affects people the most um, is actually the quiet of these structures. That because it's so well insulated and our buildings are, um, it's uh, cellulose, so it's recycled newsprint that has been shredded. Funny, right? I made magazines for so many years and now I built homes with, <laughs> with newspapers inside. There's gotta be something there, right? Um, but that to experience it um, is physically different. And I think that's, um, that connects for me of like, it is transformative and how we live in this space and on this planet um, and how we sort of occupy is different. And I like transforming that. Um, it's frustrating. We could have named this company like the impatient architect because I'm not known for my patients. So it is funny that it is um, faster to build. Um, but I think being able to create something that is a comfort um, is really important to me. Like I did have to take it off of a screen and manifest it into the world. And I think a lot of what we do is collaborate and encourage architects. And, and of course, that's like pretty much my whole career has always been working with creatives and encouraging them and, and um, sort of shepherding them in, in different ways. Um, and this one's just bigger blocks in a lot of ways. I see. Well, I think, I think your point is valid because uh, even within architecture and design, so much, of, um, so much of these industries have been disrupted by the digital revolution. Um, things have become faster. It's easier to design in 3D, but sometimes we also get lost in the, in the computer a little bit too much. Mm. And uh, I think, you know, what you're producing and what architects produce in the end, it has to be able to stand on up by itself. It has to be able to kind of stand out in the world uh, with dealing with gravity, dealing with weather, dealing with um, these other concerns that obviously uh, you're trying to uh, make sure you cover. Um, and so I think it is a really uh, interesting uh, way of kind of entering into the field piece by piece, literally, um, making sure that, that those pieces work really efficiently and then having maybe a larger scale impact, um, but just with a single element. And, and, I and I'm curious, actually, you know, you had mentioned before that you are working with your, your husband, right? And you are, are working with a, a long-term friend. Um, I'm curious how that kind of um, this vision came together and how has it been working as a team after having known each other for so long? You know, it's been just amazing. Uh, we truly have been married for 20 years and um, it's like for people who love to work and we're very hardworking and always have been to be on the same um, team is incredible. We'd never worked together. Um, I mean, other than, you know, at our home and raising kids, but sharing that passion is really um been amazing for us on the team and and our partner um is an amazing friend and one of my friends from from college and i think it requires so much trust mm -hmm. to do this i mean truly we all three leapt um and we've been very fortunate and we've hired great staff and we have really wonderful clients but still running a business and growing a business and scaling is challenging um, and so to have that trust, I think it really is, we're different in so many ways, um, but that we really are friends first and designed this um, to have as, as much impact as we could. Um, and that was the, the primary. You've mentioned it a couple of times, our company name is Be Public. 
prefab, um, but we're incorporated as a benefit corp. So we are a C corp. So, you know, a for-profit entity, but we are mission-based and it was really important to the three of us that no matter who in the long run, you know, owns and runs this company, say 20 years down the road, that it is baked in that there's mission um, at the center. And was that mission, was was that decided when you started, when you all jumped and kind of launched? Yeah, but we really, you know, it was, um, we really brainstormed it and we really mm-hmm. went through a process of what does that mean for us? Uh, we had a great advisor early on who just would just come to meetings and just shake his head and say, like, no one ever thinks this hard about starting a company. You guys are just amazingly thoughtful. Would you just hurry up? But it was important to us to be thoughtful that way. We knew we were different. We're a different group. We are all creatives. And we think through, you know, sort of that design um, principles is sort of at the center that we really do put it all out at the wall and and decide together what's the best path. Um, So it's been really an amazing journey. And I I think it really was, it came about because my husband um, has been designing homes to this standard for many, many years, for I think 12 years, he's been doing passive house approach in every new home for clients, he had to basically uh, find and train builders mm. and explain to them really what this construction requires and what kind of attentiveness to detail. Um, and it was painful because he had more clients than he could find builders for. So there was a need for disruption there, as well as a desire to share this information with others to build to a higher level without having to go through the pain and suffering um, and learning that he went through. Um, And so it really was the genesis of the the company was from technology that he was designing and testing. Um, And then uh, Charlotte had just finished a project, I love this, um, that Jonah had designed for her, a studio for her wife. And when she learned that he had developed this panelized system, um, she was just really mad that her studio wasn't built with, and she just was so mad that she just like got on a plane and came out to learn more about it. And by the end of those five days and visiting all the projects that he designed, that was it. She was all in. This -hmm. is what she was going to do. This was the solution. It made perfect sense. And, you know, so out of, you know, anger or jealousy, the the company was started, maybe not your normal Genesis story. Um, Extreme case of buyer's remorse. Yeah. You know, it's a very high performing studio, but it was still like, you know, it was a, I think it was a long and, and not painful, but slow process to get just that small, tiny project done. So she understood what it was that he was offering and had designed um, so it's, we've just, we've been really fortunate, um, to do this together. It's amazing. Yeah. And, um, no, I mean, I, I think, uh, a lot of us who are trying to start our own business, like I'm trying to trying to launch my own architecture firm. I think, uh, that trust that you mentioned is just so key, um, along with communication and just effort, hard work, you know, um, those things together. I think when you, when you stick to it as a team, that way, um, usually good things happen. Um, I just want to, you know, we're, 
Jim, uh, time here, but I just want to ask one last thing from you, since you've gone through this process in this business and you've done many other amazing things before, what, what advice would you give people when you have a goal in mind, you have a direction that you want to go, but you don't see how, you know, what the path is exactly. I think, especially right now, a lot of people have big ideas, what they want mm-hmm. to do. Um, and they might be daunted because, uh, like you mentioned, you might have to take this leap. Um, what, what kind of uh, advice or perspective would you give those people who are, who are facing this situation? Yeah, and I think I think we just touched on it on the last um, question. I think realizing that it's it's an evolution that a business needs to evolve um, and it needs to grow and breathe, and that it is constant. Um, that it really does need to be sort of shepherded and cared for, whether that's hiring staff or um, finding the right partnerships. Um, that it 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 isn't a fixed idea. Um, and I think when we, when we think it's, you know, I, I mentioned, I worked with a lot of designers, um, early on, I helped graphic designers and photographers and web designers sort of build the structure of a company. And, um, for each entity, it's different. There's no pre-prescribed. And I think it's more dangerous when we believe, oh, it has to look this way. I mean, certainly I look at myself in the mirror and I don't think, oh, CEO of a prefab company, you know, if, and if we believe in those sort of prescriptions, it, it um, leaves a lot of people out and a lot of opportunity out. So I think, uh, of course, having a great idea and having a tremendous amount of passion um, is important. Um, but I think that it, it can evolve is a part of it. And I think, you know, starting small or big also works. I I just, I don't think that sort of our idea of business or business as as it has been needs to remain. I think we've seen a huge revolution during COVID of everything that can be done at a distance and can be done safely. And, you know, ingenuity is incredible. So looking to other industries for ideas and sort of that piecing together, we really don't have to tell this story originally. We just have to tell it for ourselves and draw people to it. That's all we have to do. Powerful. Um, no, it's, it's, it's quite fascinating. And I think, uh, like I said before, I'm very impressed with everything you guys have been able to do uh, under these circumstances. And I really truly believe that there's a lot of value in your products and, and what you're offering, um, you know, both at a small scale for people who are building their homes, but also uh, trying to answer more macro scale problems like climate change, housing crisis, things of that nature. Um, so, but uh, no, I think that's a great way to end it, Edie. Um, right before we leave, I just wanted to know if there's any, where if, if people are looking for more about Be Public or about you, where can they find it? Um, is there anything you wanna shout out um, right before we go? Yeah, our website is ever evolving, like many things in business. Um, it's bpublicprefab.com. So it's be public without the period between the B and the public. Um, we're on social media, of course, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, occasionally we show up on podcasts and video casts like this one. Um, and just continuing to spread the word. Um, we are accessible. We try and be really responsive. That's something a little bit different than um, some, um, folks in the building industry, we try and respond to everyone and offer estimates and feedback and technical assistance. Um, even if we're not the right solution, but to encourage people in that exploration. So feel free to reach out. 
we'd love to talk to you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Edie. Um, best of luck in the new year. Um, thank you, Hope, for hosting this as well. And um, I hope that this reaches a lot of people and um, people get uh, interested in what, in what you guys are doing. Prefab is really the, the way of the future. And I think you guys are doing exactly right. So thank you thank so much. You. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you Thank both. You so great. What a beautiful way to launch 2022 in the January, February issue of the Incandescent Magazine. Edie, I'm so excited to see how your company grows. And Alex, of course, working with you is just a pleasure and a joy. So we'll bring more of this to you as we all move forward. So happy new year, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>